I'm just so amazed at what God does each and every year. This is an opportunity to impact the lives of millions of children, just like you've seen. But we need more boxes for next year. Every box is an opportunity for us to share the gospel of Jesus Christ. So thank you. And God bless each and every one. I was blind, now I'm seeing in color. I was dead, now I'm living forever. I had failed, but you were my redeemer. I've been blessed beyond all measure. I was lost, now I'm found by the Father. I've been changed from a ruined treasure. I've been given a hope and a future. I've been blessed beyond all measure. Every blessing, counting every blessing. 
It is my honor to welcome you here to East Taylorsville Baptist Church. It's hard to believe we are at the week of Thanksgiving. So uh, we are so blessed to have you here today. And uh, we're all blessed just to have the freedom to be here today to worship the Lord. And I hope that you can worship him today with a full heart. If you're visiting with us today, we would encourage you as we do each week to please take a minute to fill out a guest card. You can fill out the care card that's in your bulletin and you can drop that out there by the welcome table in the vestibule. We also encourage you to pick up one of the guest bags has information about the ministries here at East Taylorsville Baptist Church, but we are honored to have you here if you are visiting. Um, I'm going to ask everyone if you would stand as we prepare to worship together. In Psalm 9, it says this, I will praise you, O Lord, with my whole heart. I will tell of all your marvelous works. I will be glad and rejoice in you. I will sing praise to your name, O Most High. Let's pray together. Father, we thank you for the privilege of being able to gather here to worship you. You alone are worthy of our praise, and Lord, may today we truly bring honor to you and give thanks for all the ways that you've blessed us. And Lord, thank you that you're with us, and may you be honored today in Jesus' name. Amen. Let's worship together.
time we set aside in our service to uh, let you come down and have a time of prayer with yourself, with your family, with, with whomever you'd like to. You can pray about anything. It's kind of like our, really, it's kind of like our invitation. I do have one special request this morning. Uh, uh, Logan Stringfella, many of y'all know Shad and Shelly and Logan and Hope. Uh, Logan is at Duke Hospital having a procedure, and if you would, please remember Logan in prayer and remember uh, his parents, Shad and Shelly, they're at Duke Hospital with him. And I'm going to invite you as the praise team leads us in a song to meet me here at the altar and let's start our service out in attitude of prayer this morning. Thank you. good, good Father. We're so grateful, Lord, to, to know you, Lord, to be forgiven, Lord, to have the gospel in our hearts, to have Jesus living in us and through us. Father, I pray you'd help us to go out from this place and to share the greatest news that anyone could ever hear, that God loves them. And Father, this morning, I want to pray for Logan. I pray for him and the procedure that he'll be going through. I pray your hand would be on him and the attending physician and staff there. Father, I pray for the needs that are in this room this morning. That God, that you'd answer them according to your will and your purpose and your plan. And Father, we love you because you're good. And Father, this season we're grateful. We count our many blessings. We're going to name them one by one for great things you've done. And Father, we want to thank you for loving us this morning. For our purpose in being here this morning is to worship you in spirit and in truth. I pray for nothing less. And Father, may we glorify you this morning. I pray for this afternoon that you would bless the time as we prepare those shoeboxes as, as they reach the heart of those children. That God, that many of them will come to faith in Christ because you love them. And you're a good, good father. We pray all this in Jesus' name. And everyone said, Amen. Unto the altar, the Father's arms are open wide. Forgiveness was bought with the precious blood.
Amen. What a wonderful song. Thank you so much, praise team. As they're going down, I just want to make a couple of announcements. On December the 5th, we will have a new members class in, the, in your bulletin. If you look at your care card, if you'd like to take part in this new members class, if you will, just fill that out and you can put it in the basket so that we can have a record of that. We'd really appreciate that. Also, if you're a member and you'd like to go through the new members class, we've had that quite often. Uh, we would encourage you to do that. We're going to do the new members class, have it in place of our Sunday night PM service. So it'll start at 5 PM in the conference room. And in the new members class, I just want to, if you're a visitor, it is a requirement to join. You cannot join the church without going through the class. And the reason that is, we want you to know what we believe, number one. The requirements for being a member of any Southern Baptist church is you have to have a relationship with the Lord, be saved. Number two, be baptized by immersion since your salvation. We talk about that in the new members class. Also, I'll take you into the office area and show you all the staff's office, uh, where you would come during the week if you needed to come to the office. A lot of people don't realize we only have one door unlocked during the week, and it's the door over there that leads into the office area in the foyer area. Um, and then we'll take you throughout the whole church. There's a lot of buildings here. We'll take you up to the third floor where the baptistry area is. If you or your child needs to be baptized, we'll show you that. We do not pressure you to join. We have 1,500 members. Look around. They're not all here, are they? So we don't, we don't pressure you to join at all. Sometimes people will take the new members class and never join. That's fine. Sometimes people will take the new members class and wait five to six years. I think the longest we've had was somebody waited ten years to join. Uh, and that's okay, but it is a requirement. It's really, uh, you'll have a meal that night. Um, basically what I'll do is give you the history of the church, what we believe, kind of how the church is structured, requirements for membership. And then if you want to join, we'll set up that Sunday for you. We do all the work for you. You don't have to do anything. Try to make it as easy as we can on you. But it is, once again, a requirement. We will not have another new members class for quite some time. Because on, in January the 2nd, we're going to start Bible studies on Sunday night. We're going to start out with uh, David Jeremiah's study on prophecy. It's really good. We've previewed some of that. And that'll, that'll start at uh, 6 p.m. on Sunday nights in the Co-Ed 6 classroom. Also want to remember this as well. It came, it's come through our uh, last deacons meeting that a lot of people have asked, are we going to continue worshiping in here or are we going to worship in the sanctuary? And we're going to let you decide. Isn't that good? We're going to let you decide. So on December the 12th, at the end of the a.m. service, we're going to have a vote. And you'll have ballots uh, at the end of each row and you'll fill those ballots out and it's going to be this simple. I'd rather worship in here. I'd rather worship in a sanctuary. It's going to make it really simple for you. You have to be a member, okay, to vote. Uh, in the new members class, you're going to, you'll, you'll hear that there are certain things that only members have privileges to here, like the facilities, because we have so many members. Or, uh, even our gym is taken almost every weekend, so we have to put members first when it comes to that. When it comes to voting, only members can vote. All right. So we're going to encourage you to vote. If you're in a parking lot, you can vote. If you're not here that Sunday morning, you can't vote. So you need to be here uh, we've never kind of delayed a vote uh, just because somebody couldn't be here on a Sunday morning. We think the majority of people will be here. We want you to pray about that. Uh, we've been blessed to have wonderful facilities here. We don't want this to be something that's going to be some kind of big issue. The deacons felt like, and I feel like as well, it's your decision. Wherever you want to vote, you'd rather uh, wherever you want to worship. Had you rather worship in here or in the sanctuary? And of course, in the process of wherever you decide to worship, if you decide the sanctuary, we're going to be wise about that because there's not as much room in there as far as spreading out. We would probably wait till January, February, March, whenever things hopefully clear up a little bit more with COVID before we'd make that move. So if you vote Sunday to go to the sanctuary, we're not going the next week. We're just not. 
We're just going to try to be wise about that, okay? But whatever you vote, we'll still, of course, utilize both buildings, and we've always done that. So we just want to bring that to your attention. Uh, before we get into the Bible study today, we've been looking at, for the last couple of months, the life of David. And what we've realized about David is this. He's Israel's greatest king. There's no second. He was Israel's greatest poet, musician, warrior, strategist. He was also Israel's greatest repenter. And last week we looked at Psalm 51. And David wrote that wonderful psalm about repentance. Why did he write it? Because he had a one-night stand with Bathsheba. If you have your Bibles, turn to 2 Samuel chapter 16 and stand with me if you will. Everything from chapter 12 on in David's life is kind of tragic. This story today is David is on the run, basically. Notice verse 30 of chapter 15 of 2 Samuel. Notice this sad, tragic uh, statement that the Bible makes. Absalom, his son, has overtaken the throne in Jerusalem. David had an option. Can I fight my son? Anybody want to fight their son? Nobody does. Do you want bloodshed in Jerusalem over your son? What a legacy would that be? So David takes the high road. He understands that this is judgment from God because Nathan told David in 2 Samuel 12, because you didn't repent after your sin with Bathsheba, he could have, and because you killed her husband and tried to cover it up, the sword will never leave your house. And God always makes good on his promise. So Absalom says, I'm going to take dad's throne. And he did. As a matter of fact, notice verse 30. This is David giving up the throne. What a sad, sad commentary. So David went up by the ascent of the Mount of Olives and wept as he went up. And he had his head covered and went barefoot. And all the people who were with him covered their heads and went up, weeping as they went up. And guess who's in the crowd that day? His little 10-year-old boy, Solomon. So this is about 10 years after 2 Samuel chapter 12, about 10 years after Psalm 51. Here comes David. And David today is going to meet two people. He's going to make an incredibly bad, bad decision with the first one and show an incredible amount of grace with the second one. The first one is a liar. The second one is a slanderer. The first one leaves. The second one just won't leave. He just continually is in David's side. Notice what verse 1 says of chapter 16. When David was a little past the top of the mountain, he goes up the Mount of Olives and he's starting to come down. There was Ziba, the servant of Mephibosheth, who met him with a couple of saddled donkeys and on them 200 loaves of bread, 100 clusters of raisins and 100 summer fruits and a skin of wine. And the king said to Ziba, What do you mean to do with these? Almost like David saying, you're, you're Mephibosheth's servant, where's he? So Ziba said, the donkeys are for the king's household to ride on, the bread and summer fruit for the young men to eat, and the wine for those who are faint in the wilderness to drink. Then the king, the king said, where is your master's son? And Ziba said to the king, indeed, he's staying in Jerusalem. For he said, today the house of Israel will restore the kingdom to, of my father to me, because his father was Jonathan, his grandfather was Saul. And Ziba is lying. He's telling a lie. Mephibosheth never said that. So the king said to Ziba, Here, all that belongs to Mephibosheth is yours. What a bad decision. What a terrible decision David made based off a lie. And I would say this. Be careful to get all the facts before you make a life-changing decision for yourself or someone else. Amen. David does not do that. You've got to understand, David's still living out verse 30, chapter 15. He's in the, one of the worst places of his life. And he makes this major decision. And Ziba said, I humbly bow before you that I may find favor in your sight, my Lord, O oh my King. Then David meets somebody else. Now, after that, when David came to Barum, 
There was a man from the family of the house of Saul whose name was Shimei, the son of Gera. Coming from there, he came out cursing continuously as he came. He threw stones at David and all the servants of King David and all the people and all the mighty men were on his right hand and on his left. Also Shimei said, thus when, thus when he cursed, come out, come out, you bloodthirsty man, you rogue. That word rogue, that's a bad word. The Lord has brought upon you all the blood of the house of Saul. Now he's speaking for God here. In whose place you have reigned. And the Lord has delivered the kingdom into the hand of Absalom, your son. So now you're caught by your own evil because you're a bloodthirsty man. He cursed continually. Now notice. Then Abishai, the son of Zeruah, said to the king, Why should this dead dog curse my lord the king? Please let me go over and take off his head. We all need one of those guys on our side, don't we? I'll just kill him for you. But the king said, What have I to do with you, sons of Zeruah? So let him curse, because the Lord has said to him, Curse David. Who then shall say, Why have you done so? And David said to Abishai and all his servants, See how my son, who came from my own body, seeks my life. How much more now may this Benjamite let him alone and let him curse? For so the Lord has ordered him. It may be that the Lord will look upon my affliction and that the Lord will pay me good for his cursing this day. And David, and as David and his men went along the road, Shimei went along the hillside opposite him, cursed as he went, threw stones at him, and kicked up dust. Now the king and all the people who were with him became weary, so they refreshed themselves there, which was the Jordan. Let's pray together. Fathers, we come to you in prayer. Lord, help us to learn from David. This, uh, this chapter is in the Bible for a reason, and it's for us. Father, we can be like Ziba if we're not careful in our business dealings. We sure can. Lord, we can be like Shimei. We can slander, curse, gossip. We can do all those things. Lord, we can be like David and show grace and not retaliate and be like Jesus. Lord, because we're all going to face or have faced a Shimei in our life. And Lord, it'll probably come again. So Lord, help us to be like Jesus. Lord, what is a Christ-like response to lying and slander. We'll see that this morning in the life of David. We thank you for your word. It is holy. It is an inerrant. These stories in the Old Testament are there for us. Lord, you've went to great detail to talk about how David responded to this. And I pray that it would help us this morning, Father. If there's anyone here that's never placed their faith and trust in you, I pray that they would accept Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior today. And that you would be glorified through that salvation. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Thank you. You may be seated. Words. Isn't it, ama isn't it amazing the power words have? Think about this. This is, what, this is what I find so ironic. Solomon's in the crowd that day as a young man. Well, and, you know, he asked for wisdom. He writes Proverbs. He writes more about the tongue than any other author in the Bible. And Solomon says this, the power of life and death is in the tongue. He constantly talks about slander, gossip. He talks about how your words can be a refreshing your words can refresh somebody else's life. Your words have the ability to change somebody's day. Isn't that amazing? Or they can ruin their day. They say that men speak about 7,000 words a day. And they say women speak about 20,000 words a day. That's a little low, but they say that's how many women speak. But isn't it amazing? One philosopher said this. Listen to what he said. It's better to trip over your feet than your tongue. Because if you trip over your feet, you may break a bone and get scars which will heal. But if you trip over your tongue, you can cause a lifetime wound that will never repair itself. Sticks and stones may break my bones, but words, they always hurt. They do, don't they? Oh, words are worse. 
I've shared this with you before, but I remember being at a uh, huge conference. I mean, there was probably about 50,000 people there, and then they had breakout sessions. And this one pastor was so popular, he had 9,000 people in his breakout session. We was in this big arena. And he's just talking. I like it when, they just, when he's just talking. Before the thing started, and people were asking him questions. And they asked him a question about, you know, where'd you go to high school, blah, blah, blah. Do you ever, you know, you have opportunity to reach your old friends? And he says, I'll tell you what I did one time. He said, he said let, let this be a lesson to you about the power of your words, even when you're in high school. He said, he, and I've shared this with you before, but he said that he, he heard of one of his classmates was in the hospital. I do this all the time. If I know a classmate's in the hospital before COVID, if I could visit them, I would if they wanted to. And, and just try to be a blessing if you can. He heard she's in the hospital, this big hospital out in California, right? And he was in the area. So he says, I'll go see this girl. I mean, we, I didn't know her well, but we had an acquaintance. Go in there and she has an eating disorder. Right? And when he goes to the door, she says, what are you doing here? And he said, he was, he, this dude wrote books. He's, he's made videos and all that. Very well known. If I shared his name, you'd know who I was talking about. And he said, he just walked in the door and he thought he'd get a little better response than that. And she said, what are you doing here? He said, well, I just came to, came to pray with you. I heard you're having issues. She says, you know why I'm having issues? She says, I have an eating disorder because you and your friends made fun of me all the way back in high school about her weight. And he said he just stood there. He said he barely remembered it. Barely remembered it. He said, yeah, he, said, yeah, he admitted it. Yes, I did. He barely remembers it, though, right? And he says, well, would you mind if I could pray? And she says, no, I want you to leave. Words. Man, tough, aren't they? You'll never get your words back. Be careful. Today, today's lesson can help me, of course, and it can really help us all. The words you speak to your family the words you speak to your coworkers, the words you speak to your friends. Wow, they words. It would be better to punch your buddy in the stomach than say something bad to him. All right, because he'll remember it forever. Be careful what you say. David shows us how to handle this, but first, notice this. First thing, point when David faces the liars, do not rush to judgment. Notice the verse on the screen. Old Ziba comes out. He's a reprobate liar. One of the worst of the worst. David is at one of his lowest points, and Ziba comes out with a business deal. David was a little past the top of the mountain. There was Ziba, the servant of Mephibosheth. Mephibosheth was Saul's grandson and Jonathan's son. When David took the throne, uh, Mephibosheth's nurse drops and breaks his legs. Mephibosheth goes to Lodabar, the place of where nobodies go. And he's hiding out because when the king took the throne, it was customary to kill all the the other king's kin, sons, everybody, especially the males. So Mephibosheth is hiding out. After David had been on the throne a while, he says, is there anyone of the household of Jonathan I can show kindness to? And he said, yeah, he's got a boy, Mephibosheth. He's crippled. He says, bring him to, to, to my house. Bring him to the palace. And David brings Mephibosheth. He's scared, of course. What's he going to do? Kill me? you got to go. Left Lodabar, hiding out in Lodabar. What a bad place to be. It just means the word Lodabar just brings up imaginations of something bad. So when Mephibosheth comes, David, you can read this in chapter 9 of 2 Samuel 9. He shows him grace. Eat at my table, Mephibosheth. And he says this, all that your grandpa had and Jonathan has is yours. And your servant is Ziba. He's going to take care of you. Ziba was the chief of staff of Mephibosheth's little small kingdom. David showed him incredible grace. And they had a great friendship after that. But then here's David going up the Mount of Olives. Starting back down, and he's met by Ziba, who says, here's a chance for me to uh, get my stuff if I want it. 
a bad business transaction. And he met him, look, saddled with donkeys, 200 loaves of bread, 100 clusters of raisins, 100 summer fruits and a skin of wine. Boy, something's up. David should have known, what is going on here? That's why David says, whose are these? Where did this come from? Where's Mephibosheth? And then notice verse 4. Basically what Ziba says is Mephibosheth's taking Absalom's side. He's taking Absalom's side. And then David says this. Here, all that belongs to Mephibosheth is yours. You got all this stuff just that quick in three verses. Isn't that amazing? In four verses. Mephibosheth's whole life changed off a lie. How many times have, are we guilty of rushing to judgment? How many times do we assume the wrong things? You hear something about somebody, you automatically take it as true. Isn't that bad? It shouldn't be bad. You should get all the facts. All the facts. All the facts. Before you even make a decision. Then wait. David is in a bad spot. He's marching. He just wept his eyes out in verse 30. And then he's going down the hill and he says, Yeah, I'll tell you what I'll do. Let's just give, based off what you're telling me, you can have all of his stuff. Mephibosheth's life changed forever right there. Eventually, they split the king, they split the stuff, but it took a while. But David made a very bad decision here. And I would encourage you in your life, don't ever rush to judgment. Don't make the major decisions when you're emotional, when you're tired, after something good happens or after something bad happens. Because this is what David did. He made a very bad decision. So don't rush to judgment. The second thing is this. Stay calm. Notice who comes out to meet David. Notice on the screen the Bible says this. Now when King David came to Barim, there was a man from the family of the house of Saul whose name was Shimei, the son of Gera. Coming from there, he came out cursing continuously as he came. Now the Bible's not exaggerating. The guy was just cursing up a storm. I'm sure they heard him way off. You probably don't want this guy, you know, going on vacation with you or hanging out and having meals with you. You're not going to invite him to go eat. Shimei, he's mad. He's cursing continuously as he came. He's calling down cursing on the king. Now, Barum's just a, a mile from Jerusalem, and then there comes, one scholar says, then here comes this rabid dog. He's the son of Gera, which means he's a Benjamite stock. He's one of the leading men of the city because in verse 19, or chapter 19, when he comes back to meet David, he brings a thousand men from the city. So he's a leader. And he's spewing rage. One scholar says this, one of the worst types of enemies you can have is Shimei. He waits until you're at your lowest. Then he comes and verbalizes it. Now think about this. David has just lost the throne. He didn't want to fight his son. So he's leaving with all his family and friends going out in the wilderness. And here comes Shimei cursing continuously. This is not a keyboard warrior. He's not hiding behind a keyboard like people do today. He's in his face and in his space. In front of his family, no doubt. It's not like they were meeting off alone somewhere. David and all his men are here and Shimei comes out cursing him in front of everybody. David's got to protect his manhood, right? I mean, you're, you're, you're the former king. You're the greatest king in Israel. He's in his space. There's nowhere for David to hide. This is not a private matter. And Shimei kicks him while he's down. Solomon would later write this, who was in the audience that day. Reckless words pierced like a sword. Probably thought about his dad. Well, this really hurt his dad. These words, he cursed continually. Continually. Notice what he says in the next verse, verse 6. Then he threw stones at him. He continually cursed. He actually called him a murderer. What's ironic is he's not talking about Uriah which is true, but about Saul. David didn't kill Saul or any one of Saul's household. Basically what Shimei says, he starts saying, 
You stole the kingdom from Saul, which we all knew was wrong. He was slandering David in front of his own men. God gave him the throne. We all know what slander is, the utterance of false charges or misrepresentations which defame and damage another's reputation. It was so strong in the first century church that Paul told the older women on Crete when he's writing to Titus, who's in the Mediterranean seas on the island of Crete, he says, if you want to reach your people, you need to teach the older women to teach the younger women not to be slanderers because it was a problem. You're slandering another person's character. You're lying about that person and you're slandering that person publicly. And God says you should never do that as a Christian. Ever do that. David's being falsely accused by Shimei and he's being slandered. And then notice, he starts throwing stones at David. Throwing rocks at him. That seems a little childish. Look at verse 13. It says, And as David and his men went along the road, Shimei went along the hillside opposite him, cursed as he went, threw up stones at him and kicked up dust. God has kept throwing rocks at him. But what is that a picture of? That's a picture of a stone, somebody that's going to stone somebody for killing somebody. Throwing stones, according to the law, was used to execute murderers. So according to Shimei, David is a killer of Saul and his household. David is a man of blood, Shimei says, and his blood should be shed. So Shimei is playing the role of a leader of a stoning squad, seeking to stone David for murder. But notice what he says in verse 7. This is the worst of all. And Shimei said thus when he cursed, Come out, come out, you bloodthirsty man, you rogue. Look at the word rogue. Basically what he's doing here is attacking his manhood. Basically, in so many words, he's saying you're a terrible person, you're a murderer, you're an adulterer, you should be ashamed of yourself. This word in the Greek is, is translated as Bilal. When Paul wrote to the church at Corinth, he says, Don't be un unequally yoked with an unbeliever. What fellowship does darkness have with light? What fellowship does Christ have with Bilal? That word Bilal, that word rogue means you're, you're less than a man, you're worthless, you're corrupt, you're a demon of Satan. That's what he's saying. <laughs> Out here publicly... I mean, he's basically shaming his manhood by calling him, he's calling him a scoundrel. Shimei is rendering a tremendous insult against David. He's putting him in the same class as the men of Judges 19 who ravaged a Levi's concubine all night and left her for dead. That's basically what that word meant. Or other men in 1 Samuel, Eli's sons who were supposed to be priests in the tabernacle and they stole from the Lord's sacrifices and slept with the women who were coming to worship. Shimei's putting David in that category. You're worse than them. You're worse than the men and judges. You're worse than Eli's sons. It's not just a vicious personal attack. It's one that's charged with theological error. And Shimei takes the role as a prophet, verses 7 and 8. He basically says this. Verse 8, he makes this statement. He says, The Lord has brought upon you all the blood of the house of Saul, which was a lie, in whose place you have reigned, and the Lord has delivered the kingdom into the hand of Absalom, your son, which is true. So he gives a half-truth there. He's trying to speak for God. So now you're caught in your own evil because you're a bloodthirsty man. So let me ask you a question. Is it possible that you and I can be like Shimei? Is it possible? I hope not. Is it possible that you could take that role? Is it possible? Do you find yourself hurling insults, casting dirt, sharing dirt, sharing gossip? Do you find yourself becoming an increasingly bitter person? Are you always critical? You think Shimei was a happy person? He wasn't. Is it possible that we can be like him? Is it possible? How would you respond? What's the proper response to the outrage? What should be done? Notice verse 9. 
I think it's on the screen. Little Abishai says, the son of Zerah said to the king, Why should this dead dog curse my lord, the king? Please let me go over and take off his head. I think I'll just kill him. Now, this isn't the first time Abishai, David's had to keep Abishai from killing somebody. He's the brother of Joab. And what he's basically saying to David is this is a dead dog, this is a do- barking dog, and dead dogs don't bark or bite. This is the third time he sought to execute vengeance against the house of Saul. And the king says, what do I have to do with you, sons of Zerah? See, Abishai was with David when he was in the wilderness of Ziph back in 1 Samuel, whenever he was on the run from Saul. They go into Saul's camp while they're sleeping in 1 Samuel 26. Now listen to this. When they go into the camp, they find Saul sleeping. Now David's got a choice here. Do I kill Saul, second time he could have killed him, or do I just leave? Abishai says this. God has delivered your enemy into your hand this day. Now therefore, please let me strike at him once with the spear, right to the earth. I'll just jab him through to the earth and stick him there, is what he says. And I'll not have to strike him a second time. And David said to Abishai, No, do not destroy him, for who can stretch his hand against the Lord's anointed and be guiltless? Abishai says, Let me pin him to the ground. And this is his point. Why? Notice what he says over and over again. Why should this dog, Shimei, curse my king? And this was his point. To curse the king was a capital offense, and it was. Exodus 22, 28 says, You shall not revile God, revile, remember that word, God, nor curse a ruler of your people. That's the law. God and ruler are mentioned in the same sentence because God puts them on the throne. That's why David would not kill Saul. How can I touch the Lord's anointed? God put him here. God will remove him. Abishai says, Let me just kill Shimei. He's cursing you. You're the king. Shimei's cursing is a treason against God and against his covenant. To curse God's king is to curse God whom the king represents. God put him there and God can repute. He basically rejects God's plan. To rebel against David and his kingdom is to rebel against God and his kingdom. Six times in these verses, David's called the king. So Abishai was aware of David's character, but here again, when David is threatened and cursed, Abishai wants to cut his head off and David says, What am I going to do with you? What am I going to do with you? He says this over and over again. Basically what he's saying is this. What do you have against me? Why, why are you my enemy this day? Because Abishai doesn't see what God's doing. He's kind of like Peter. When Jesus spoke of his suffering and going to the cross, Peter says it will not be. And Jesus looks at Peter and says, Get behind me, Satan. Then in the garden, you remember when they came to get Jesus? Guess who took his sword out and tried to cut a guy's head off? Peter. Abishai's just an Old Testament Peter. David is suffering from the Lord and the Lord's curse because he's a man of blood. Notice verse 12. David gives two reasons why Shimei should live. Notice what he says. Let him alone, let him curse, for so the Lord has ordered him. He says, maybe this is God's uh, discipline in my life. Think about that. Think about how far David has come. David has come this far to say, hey, maybe God just told him. This is how humble David is. Leave him alone. If this is from the Lord, what good will it do to kill him? I must submit to it. David is saying, maybe this is discipline from the Lord. Do you ever run from a spanking? Have you ever run from a spanking? You better not try to run from God's spankings. Or grandma's, amen? Remember growing up, we stayed with grandma a lot in the summer out in Sugarloaf. And I remember my brother one time, grandma went out to spank him with a, with a something. I don't know, she probably grabbed a hoe or something. I don't know what she had. My brother started running. My grandma was kind of a little heavy set. She didn't make about 10 yards. She said, all right. She went back in the house. Now, she's the sweetest woman ever, right? I said, Grandma, what are you doing? She said, oh, he'll get hungry. And guess what? He got hungry. When he come in, Grandma was cooking like always, fried taters and a grilled cheese. All right, that's a great meal. It was, sup- it was lunchtime. I remember my brother come walking in, and Grandma 
always kept a switch on top of the fridge, and she did business, all right? Because he run, it was worse. And I looked at my grandma like, you are a, you're a, you're a, wow, I didn't know you had it in you, grandma. That's what I thought. But I did not ever want to run from a spanking from grandma, okay? Ever. David is saying this. Now listen to what I'm saying. Maybe this is God spanking me in front of all my family and friends. Maybe God's using Shimei and his bad self to bring this upon me. Because think about this. Shimei attacked his manhood. Attacked his ability to lead as a king. Attacked his his ability to be a husband and a dad in front of everybody. For everybody to see. And David says, let him curse. Man. Now, I don't know about you, but I'm a steal. It's tough for us to get punched and not punch back. It just is. It's tough for you to say something about me. I just want to, you know, you ever do that? Ugh. Have you ever just been that close to saying something? You're like, no. This is what David's saying. Ah, let him go. Listen, discipline is often painful, but it is a painful privilege. And one way to know you're his child. God made this promise. I will always discipline my children. Nobody else's. See, we're not all children of God. God doesn't discipline the devil's children. He disciplines his. And what David is saying is this. Great theological point. Maybe this is from the Lord. And then in verse 11, he says this. Hey, my son seeks my own life. How much more should this guy? I mean, that's how far David's fallen. My own boy's trying to kill me. What does this matter? David just basically says, he's kind of making an open confession before all his people. He says, hey, listen, I deserve this. He said, he's not covering anything up now. David is saying, Shmei doesn't even know what he's doing, but I submit to the discipline of the Lord. This is probably from him, and this is public, despite what I deserve, David goes on to say in verses 12 and 13. Maybe God will show mercy, and maybe God will pay my guilt with goodness. God has put away my sin. Maybe he'll help me. And then verse 14, notice what the Bible says. It says, Now the king and all the people who are with him became weary, and so they refreshed themselves there, and that's there is at the Jordan River. That was a buffer between Absalom and David. And right here, where he's resting, David writes Psalm 3, and I want to read it for you. Now understand that Absalom's after David. David has nowhere to go. He crosses the Jordan, and he's got this buffer. And he rests, and as he rests, David's mind thinks about the Lord. Even though he'd just been put down so bad publicly, probably embarrassed because a lot of what Shimei said was true. And then David writes this, Lord, how they've increased who trouble me. Many are they who rise up against me. Many are they who say to me, there's no help for him in God. He says, many people are saying, God's not going to help him. But you, O Lord, are a shield for me. My glory and the one who lifts up my head. I cried to the Lord with my voice and he heard me from his holy hill. I lay down and slept. I awoke for the Lord sustained me. I will not be afraid of ten thousands of people who have set themselves against me all around. Arise, O Lord, save me, O my God, for you have struck my enemies on the cheekbone, you have broken the teeth of the ungodly. Salvation belongs to the Lord, your blessing is upon your people. So instead of David getting back at Shimei, which he could have, even verbally, David writes a psalm. What do you do? I remember Junior Hill, who's an uh, older preacher now, he's an evangelist, I remember being in one of his revival services one time and he was talking about the power of words and he says, you know, I just preached on power of life and death in the tongue then went to a restaurant after church. He said, I had the worst waitress in the world. He said, she didn't mean to be bad, but she was just bad. And he said, he said I don't know how many times I felt like saying something, but I just didn't. So he said, what am I going to do? 
He kind of did like David, but in a little different way. He started writing all, everything he wanted to say to her on a napkin. He just wrote it down. Every time she'd come, he said, she messed up his order. She said, she's a sweet girl, but she just kept messing up. He said, He's got, he said, I got so upset. He said, I was so tired. He said, I just started writing all this stuff down. And she came to him, and she said, sir, are you all right? You look like you're down. He says, ma'am, I'm just sitting here reading my napkin. Sometimes you just got to read your napkin, all right? David goes back. He's resting, and what, he do, what does he do? He writes a psalm. He just writes it down. And we have it with us today. This Psalm 3, if you read it when you get home, comes from verse 14 of 2 Samuel chapter 16. After David was bashed in front of all his men and his kids and his family, think about that, in front of his wife, God attacked his manhood, attacked his character, attacked God's dealing in his life, attacked the throne, made fun of him, cursed him, threw rocks at him. David writes Psalm 3. I salute you, David. Better man than I am. And then think about this. David, David did, I would tell you, don't rush to judgment, stay calm. Preaching to, preaching to the choir here. And then the third thing is this, show grace when you can. In chapter 19, Absalom's dead, he dies in chapter 18. David weeps his eyes out for his son. Oh, Absalom, oh, Absalom, he said. David loved his boy. Then David goes back, crossing that same Jordan to go to the throne. Guess who meets him? Shimei, with 1,000 men. Shimei bows on his knees, and he says to David, I have sinned. You remember what David told to Nathan? I have sinned. What do you do? You're the king now. You're the rightful judge. Notice what David does in verse 23. Therefore the king said to Shimei, You shall not die. And the king swore to him that he wouldn't kill him. He showed grace to this man who did not deserve it. Now, scholars tell us that Shimei never changed. This didn't change him. Some people are just going to be bad their whole lives. Amen. But David still showed him grace on that he could have killed him. He came out with a thousand men. David just kind of laughed at that. And Shimei got on his knees and said, please forgive me. And David says, I do. What do you do when people attack your person, lie about you, gossip about you, slander you, and maybe even your family knows about it? Respond like Jesus. Notice what Peter tells us Jesus did who when he was reviled, that's the same word Exodus uses, it says you do not revile God. When he was reviled, did not revile in return. When he suffered, he did not threaten, but committed himself to him who judges righteously, who himself bore our sins in his own body on the tree, that we, having died to sins, might live for righteousness. When Jesus hung on the cross at Calvary, in this heavily populated area outside the city, nude in front of his mama, beaten, the worst of the worst would come to a crucifixion. And they'd talk about your body. They'd talk about your family that was there. It was just customary. Scholars tell us. And the only response that most criminals would have is they'd just spit back at people. That's all they could do, or curse at them. That's what the thieves on each side were doing. Then they were cursing Jesus, both of them. You know what Jesus said? It's what Jesus said from the cross. As they were doing this, the worst of the worst, Made fun of the fact that he was the Messiah. Made fun of him. If you're the Savior, why don't you come down off the cross, little man? That's basically what they were saying. You know what Jesus said? In, in the Greek, it says, he says that over and over and over again from the time they started nailing him to the cross, Father, forgive them. Didn't say it one time. Over and over and over and over and over. Father, forgive them. You want to be like Jesus? When you're reviled, don't revile in return. Don't retaliate goes against our nature doesn't it 
goes against everything we believe as an American. Words matter. What you say matters. How you respond matters. David grew up a lot from 2 Samuel chapter 12 to 2 Samuel chapter 19. And my hat's off to him for how he responded. I'm going to ask your musicians to come. If you'll just bow your heads and close your eyes just for just a moment. Not going to give a long invitation. The secret is to die to ourselves, which is so hard at times. Get your eyes off yourself and your eyes on Christ. Jesus said this, He that keeps his life will lose it, and he that loses his life for my sake will find it. As Beverly plays softly, let me ask you a question. Are you or have you been like Shimei? As a representative of Jesus, as an ambassador of Christ, have you ever been like Shimei? Then I would encourage you and you alone to repent of that now. Ask the Lord to forgive you of the words that you have said. You can't get them back, but you can change from now. Maybe you're here this morning and you're dealing with a Shimei in your life. Ask for the Lord's help. And say, help me to respond like Christ would have me to respond. Who, when he was reviled, did not revile in return. And then the final thought is this. Do you know Jesus? Have you ever placed your faith and trust in Christ? God doesn't have grandchildren. He has children. You can't repent for anybody else but yourself. You're not here today by accident. Have you ever placed your faith and trust in the resurrected Christ? Jesus and Jesus alone saves. It's through His death and resurrection that salvation is available. Whosoever calls upon the name of the Lord will be saved. It's not about a prayer you pray. It's about your heart. The night the Lord saved me, I said, Jesus, I believe in you. Forgive my sins. And from this day forward, I follow you, Jesus. That's simple. Eternity, eternal life can happen in a moment. Salvation happens in a moment. God knows your heart today. Fathers, we come to you in prayer. Lord, help us as your children. Lord, not to be like Shimei or Ziba in our business dealings. Lord, help us to be like Christ. Help, help our words to be Christ-like. And Lord, if we're ever faced in a situation where we face somebody like Shimei, help us to respond like David, to see the bigger picture, to not say words back. I don't know that David hardly ever spoke back to him. As hard as it is and as much as our flesh wants to do something, Father, I pray that we'd walk in the Spirit, your word says, and we will not fulfill the desires of the flesh. Father, we thank you for our great example, who's Jesus, who suffered shame, the Bible says. Shame, not just our sins, but shame that came with being on the cross. And Father, you forgave. So Father, we want to tell you that we love you today, and we thank you, Lord, for your grace and for your mercy. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Thank you so much for being here today. I'm going to ask you to stand with us as Sharon leads us in a, in a last verse, and then we'll be dismissed. Thank you so much.
Thanksgiving.